Welcome to another episode of The Coiling Solution, where we bring you awareness and actionable insight. On this episode, I am uh, proud to welcome Daniel Eads to The Coiling Solution. For 25 years, Dan has been a practicing management consultant, working with state and local government, healthcare, K-12 education, higher education, and nonprofits. He is an author of two books, the first, Transformation Management, and his most recent, Leveraging the Genetics of Leadership, Cracking the Code of Sustainable Team Performance. His latest book demonstrates how elite organizations are revolutionizing the practice of leadership, recreating the world of work and setting new standards for employee engagement and customer value. So please join me in welcoming Dan to The Coiling Solution. Dan, welcome to the show. Thank you, James. It's a it's a delight to be with you. No, I'm looking forward to this conversation. I, I, I've looked over some of the research you've done, and I'm excited about this topic because it is one that I am uh, truly passionate about. So before we jump in, there's a question I like to ask everyone uh, to get things warmed up. If you think about some of the people that you spent the most time with that know you best, that would say, I know Dan, there's not a thing I don't know about him. If you're really honest, what is one thing you can share with us that they do not know. Oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so this this is a, a story that I, I actually talk about occasionally, but it's 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 kind of funny and it's a little bit embarrassing, but yeah, it's cute. So, um, but yeah, that's still very much tied into what I'm doing right now, which is chatting with you and and having written a book and. Um, I was, uh, five years old, I think. So I'm a little boy and my father was a salesman and, uh, one of his clients was a, uh, pulp and paper mill. And about every six months he would come home with his station wagon bouncing off of the springs because they had loaded up his station wagon with Presto logs and given them to him because they liked him. And uh, so he would bring these Presto logs home. And one summer, um, it was probably mid-July, he says, um, Danny, uh, you should take some of those Presto logs and load them up in your red wagon and uh, take them around the block and sell them to your neighbors. I think you can get $5 for them. <laughs> Which way back when, you know, $5 for a little five-year-old boy was a yeah, big deal. Right. So, uh, you know, wanting to make my dad proud, I, uh, one afternoon I loaded up, uh, my little red wagon with Presto logs and, um, began the process of going all the way around our block, asking our neighbors if they would like to buy my Presto logs. And unfortunately I couldn't sell any Presto logs. Oh man. And so, um, I've gone, you know, down the street, up the street, I've blocked behind us back down. Now I'm coming up my street and, um, uh, I hadn't sold one Presto log. And so, you know, a little five-year-old boy, he's walking up the street, pulling his Presto logs in his little red wagon. He's crying. And um, this lady drives by me. Um, I'm somewhat dating myself, but in one of these cars, it's about a block long and uh-huh. fins coming off the back <laughs> of the car. I don't remember if it was a Cadillac or a Buick, but I know it was a lot nicer car that, that, that we drove. And she stops her car and she sort of turns in front of me, stops her car, gets out of the car and says, little boy, why are you crying? 
And um, I said, because no one would buy my will buy my Presto logs. And she said, well, <laughs> how much do you want to sell? How much will you? Um, how much are you charging for your Presto logs? I said five dollars. <laughs> she said, well, if you load them load them in the trunk of my car, I'll pay you five dollars for them. <laughs> so my uh, my 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 the the less the moral of the story is if all else fails, start crying and people will buy people what will you buy you yourself. <laughs> At that point, you want to say five dollars a piece, right? <laughs> I don't think I even figured out it was five dollars a piece or five dollars for the load, but right. somehow it was five dollars. That's right. Yeah. Just stop, stop me from crying, lady. That's what your father was saying. Stop that kid from crying. That's right. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So you know this book, uh, leveraging the genetics of leadership, cracking a code of sustainable team performance. I think for any leader, you know. So, the word sustainable in and of itself in the work environment, right, is a tough word. You know, I, right, I talk right. about sustainable performance, right? right. Uh, transformational, you know, we talk about transformational performance. Even that in and of itself, putting that with sustainable is very hard because we have transformation happen and then it's like, poof, the next year or so right. it's gone, right? So we double digit right. and then can you redo it again? And so, you know, one of the things that we've seen and you talk about it, obviously, is these Gallup surveys and this continuous challenge with employee engagement. Uh, we were talking about it before we started recording. Some of the latest surveys, what Gallup documents, 66% of the workforce is either not engaged with their work or they have actively or they are actively sabotaging the workplace. And I've talked about this before in this episode. So I know some of the, some of my listeners are probably going, Oh, are we talking about this again? Yes. We are talking about mm-hmm. this again, because if you don't have great employees, then you don't have work getting done or getting done properly. Right. And I think that the, the key point is around is this, this point around um, engage and actively disengage, right. Too the, the mm-hmm. actively disengage people who are actively working against your mission, your vision, your strategy. So right. let's start here. What, got you into this work? What's your why as it relates to this work? Yeah, great question. Well, so let me tell you a, a quick story. Um, I had finished a project for a, a large state agency. Uh, and this particular agency um, did all of the licensing for 450,000 healthcare workers. And, um, and they were frankly a mess. And when I got done with the project, um, it was going to take them probably 18 months to implement what we had done, but there was some light at the end of the tunnel. And I was having my very last meeting with the uh, deputy director, and um, I was just getting ready to say goodbye. I had my coat on. I had my computer case on my, in my hand. I was My hand was on the door ready to leave. And in almost a tone that was confessional, she said, you know, I don't even tell my friends where I work anymore. Hmm. And I turned around. I said, why not? She said, it's just too embarrassing. Wow. And uh, I'd love to say that's the only time I've ever heard that. But the reality is uh, various ways, different context, maybe not with that same degree of, 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 of passion, if you will. Right. But I've heard that dozens and dozens of, you know, some version of that dozens of times times. And at some point in the last four or five years, it struck me, what a waste. Right. Right. What a colossal waste of human passion, intelligence, creativity, uh, innovation, all of the good stuff that makes us human. 
it's 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 a it's we're universally we're wasting it right and um so i mean that was just one instance but you know some point in there i began to ask myself the question well is how organizations that really perform at a at a high level how do they do this thing of leadership right and and what do they do that's different yeah um, because in, in 25 years of consulting, I can't say I ever met, uh, maybe with one or two exceptions, I can't say I ever met anybody who wasn't qualified to lead, right? you know, qualified to do their job. There was some kind of, you know, they qualified because of experience or education or whatever. Um, yet somehow high impact organizations were doing something different. So that got me on my quest. And um, so here we are. Yeah. Now, one of the things I understand, and, and correct me if I'm off on any of this, is that you went to a lot of research on this. And, and yeah. the way you approach some of the research, well, well, two things. So, so one, overall, one of the statements you make is that the high-performing organizations turn the data upside down. Instead of 66% uh, engagement, they, uh, I'm sorry, 66% disengagement, they flip it. They're 66% engaged. Right. Right. So the exact opposite. The second thing is the approach to the research in terms of some of the folks you talk to, I understand head of an NFL team. That's a Super Bowl winning team, uh, head of a hospital system that had a highest ranked uh, employee engagement scores, 13 years or so um, head of a New York mafia family or something like that. You you shall not mention their name here. I don't want any issues. I did not interview the head of the mafia. I'd read a couple of books. So. Oh, okay. All right. Good. All right. I just want, just want to make that clear. Just, to... <laughs> um, and, and okay. All right. But, but a deep list of people who have demonstrated the ability to keep people engaged, uh, and comparing them within their industry and, and not again, not do it once, but do it over a period of time. Right. So showing that, that, uh, level of engagement. And so talk about some of, you know, thematically, some of the things you learned doing that research. Yeah, great. I love that question. So, um, you know, that we, we talk about systems, and sometimes we throw that word around uh, and don't really understand what we're talking about. But that actually was one of the first things I had to figure out. I said, well, if 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 high impact organizations do approach the the practice of leadership in a way that's systemic, what does that look like? And, um, you know, I read more books on systems thinking and systems theory than I could ever document. Um, finally settled on, on the simplest definition of a system, which is simply a, systems, a system takes a small uh, number of, of key resources, organizes them in a very specific way to produce um, a desired outcome. Mm-hmm. And uh, so... Then I got had to ask the question, well, what are those key resources? And, you know, if, if you think about any organization, every organization has three key resources, people, money, and specialized knowledge. Mm-hmm. And I'm using the word money in the broadest sense to include plant and equipment. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Um, and then how are those resources or- organized? And um, this comes back to really your, your your question: How do how do the key leaders and key organiz- and, and, and high impact organizations how do they produce this sustainable uh, long term engagement? And um, probably one of the most profound things that I found is that high impact organizations understand their people as well as their money 
and their internal specialized knowledge, not as an asset that has to be managed, but as a resource that can be developed for ever-increasing value. Mm. And that word value really underscores everything these organizations do. In fact, um, uh, when I first saw it, I was I was really blown away. And um, uh, and the more I looked at it in, in this one particular organization, healthcare organization, um, the more I talked to them, the more I realized they're talking about value. And they're developing their people because they see value in their people. And they've realized the more that they can develop their people, and it wasn't just the professional bits, you know, it, it was it was the whole person. When they focused on developing their workforce to be more self-confident at a personal level, mm-hmm. more you know, personally self-empowered. Uh, not only did, did they end up developing better leadership, but they developed a more self-confident, creative workforce that was willing to speak up, that was willing to speak their mind when they saw an opportunity to improve, and 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 the the value that was being being delivered to their patients all went up. Gotcha. And uh, just as, as you know, for one little measurement um, during the last recession of 2007, 8, and 9, uh, most hospitals across the country were laying people off. This particular hospital system, they've got ten, almost 10,000 employees, so it's not a small little hospital. Actually, they own two hospitals and lots of clinics. Um, they didn't lay off anybody. And in fact, they continued to pay bonuses. Hmm. Um, and their financials are some of the highest in the country. Mm-hmm. And for the last eight or nine years, uh, they've been ranked as, as consistently as one of the safest hospitals in America. And some have even speculated they're one, they're the, one of the safest hospitals in the world. And is their belief that it, it, during the down times, they do not decline as, as far down as their peer group? Is that their belief? Well, it's really the evidence. Um, so think about, you know, the key organizational resources, people, money, mm-hmm. and knowledge. So they're developing their people. They also have uh, very spe- specific ways that they develop the value of their financial resources. Right. Let's call it productivity. And they're, they're a huge learning uh, organization. And so um, during a tour... Uh, uh, it was a Friday afternoon, and every Friday afternoon, they have something called a report out, which is where various teams that are working on process improvement initiatives come and report to the entire workforce through you know, video streaming. Mm-hmm. They, they give reports on how their process improvement initiatives either met their objectives or not. Right. And, um, and so they, they never talk about money. They never talk about, you know, errors. They're always talking about improving systems and processes. And uh, and so because of that, they just simply get more value out of their people, out of their out of their financial systems, and out of their knowledge systems. Um, so, you know, one real simple example is um, 
you know, uh, when they started this and this whole journey uh, in 2001, 2002, you know, 35% of a nurse's time was actually spent with a patient. Mm. Today, that's upwards of 95% hmm. of nurses' time is spent with, you know, hands-on, value-added experience with the patient. Right. So that means they're just getting more value out of all of those little transactional relationships. Right, right. That's incredible. Wow. You said they started at 35%? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And yeah. they were, um, they were the uh, the first healthcare system in the world to actually adopt the Toyota production system, and they were uh, resoundingly ridiculed from the industry, saying, "How can you do su- such a thing?" Mm-hmm. Um, but today, they are the world's leader and the world's leading educational organization, and how to uh, apply the Toyota production system in healthcare. <laughs> in fact, Toyota, the rumor that I understand, if I understand it correctly. Toyota actually sends their healthcare people <laughs> to this hospital on to how to how to do it. Wow, so. that's a testament. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Are there any other major themes that came out of the research? Well, yeah. So um, you know, a lot of people ask, uh, as and you just you alluded to it. You know, what what triggers long term transformation of of an organization? And um, what I found was it really all comes down to the experience of the workforce. So, as I mentioned, every system has an output. It has a product. There's something at the end that it does. Right. And um, so what I found that or, uh, organizations that, that consistently perform at a high level, um, they put enormous energy into the experience of their workforce. Mm. Um, in fact, um, as I'm sure in, in your in your business roles, you spend a lot of time talking about the experience of the customer. And we put a lot of energy into, you know, providing a consistent, positive, uh, well-designed experience for the customer. What these organizations do, they, they put as much energy into providing a consistent, positive, mm-hmm. well-balanced um uh, experience for their workforce, which then gets passed on to their customers or their patients. Yes. Um, and sort of the sideline to that that I noticed is they really make it a strategic initiative or a strategic imperative. Um, you, maybe you have had a, a similar experience. I, it's happened to me a lot where you're going to an organization and they say, we want you to fix this team or do that thing over here and, you know, get these people working, you know, well and look at their processes and stuff. And um, one of the things I will frequently ask is, uh, well, so, um, you know, what are some of your strategic advantages? Right. And they'll say, well, it's this thing or the other thing or the market share or the size or whatever. But almost always someone will say, oh, it's our, it's our staff. We have a fabulous staff. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, okay, nobody's perfect, but you know, we 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 really shine when it comes to our our staff. And uh, then I go and I start working with that staff, and I find that they're discouraged, they're exhausted, mm-hmm. they're um, it's not an issue of compensation, but they feel underappreciated, consistently underappreciated, uh, voices not heard, and. Um, but the organizations that, that, you know, flip the data on employee engagement, 
they've figured out how to engage their employees through an experience where their voices are heard. Yeah, everybody's working hard. Nobody's slacking off, but their voices are heard. They're contributing the best of who they are to the organization. And by the way, they enjoy coming to work in the morning. Right, right. That's good. You know, one of the things that um, you wrote in the book is, um, or, or I think in one of the intros to the book somewhere, I, I think you wrote this, and correct me if you didn't, but I quote, traditional books on leadership strive to create courageous leaders who will attract followers. Leveraging the genetics of leaderships will show you how to create a courageous workforce who will attract customers. The result is unparalleled performance in a workforce that grows into confident and empowered human beings. It all begins when you learn how to leverage the genetics of leadership. When I, when I read this, I read it a couple of times and I was kind of stepping back and it made me think about, um, gosh, I can't think of his book right now, but I, uh, the, the book where he talks about the flywheel, right. And the leadership team and the flywheel and, um, God dog it. I could see his face, but I can't think of his name. I, th- I think you yeah. know the book I'm talking about. Good to great. Yep. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 Um, and you think about, um, I think during that era, we'd all think about the iconic leaders, right? Jack Welch and people like that. And, and they're different, right. uh, modes, right? Like Jack's mode of, you know, either we're number, number three, one, two or three in a business one, or we one exited or one or two, one or two, or we exited and, and yep. those different things like that. And you, and you had those kind of, uh, leader, uh, yeah, iconic leaders and mm-hmm. those molds, so to speak, right. Who were right. able yeah. to establish, uh, almost in and of themselves, a culture and have that culture then take hold. This right. feels like this is about, again, the application of systems thinking and mm-hmm. applying that in such a way that it's not that the leader becomes obsolete, but the le- the leader again is the, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, the, the, uh, is a servant leader, right. And is in a place to be in service of like in some places I've seen, and I know I've done on purpose, created an inverted org chart to help people see the visualization of what my role should be right. In terms of serving others. Is that what you're uh, presenting here? Uh, James, uh, as I'm listening to you, uh, prep me for the question <laughs> I, I, i'm like yes 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 he gets it <laughs> <laughs> that's that's exactly what it is and you know uh so one of you know one of my sort of hot button issues in this is is really around this idea um you've been to them i've been to them um you know, somebody, uh, we're, we, we go to a conference and, uh, you know, the world's best leadership guru comes on and, and, and it's inspirational and it's exciting. And then we, you know, we have to get up on Monday morning, actually go to work and do something. And uh, somehow what we just learned in the moment of inspiration sort of goes out the window. Uh, and we think, well, maybe on Wednesday, I'll be able to put that into practice, but we never really get around to it. Um and 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 really what i what i discovered was these high impact organizations instead of focusing on trying to develop you know bold and courageous leaders um they really focus on developing a workforce that's courageous that's bold that's willing and ready to speak up to take a risk and when they focus on the workforce oh by the way they also then develop great leadership right. who is which is bold and courageous but they they they, they focus on the workforce so um 
you know, it, let me, you asked me about some of the people I interviewed. So one of the more interesting um, uh, gentlemen that I interviewed uh, is a guy by the name of General Barry McCaffrey, who um, is today a, a paid news analyst for uh, M uh, NBC, I believe, on issues of national security. And um, uh, an incredible human being, um, a resume that, like, never quits. Um, after he retired from the Army uh, and after 32 years, uh, some speculated that he was the highest ranking. He was the high, highest, deco highest decorated four-star to have ever worn the uniform. Um, he then went on to serve in the, in the Clinton administration as a, as a member of his cabinet. He was the nation's drugs are for five and a half years mm. and um you know if if there's anything about leadership this guy doesn't know about it's it's either unknowable or it's not worth knowing and um when i asked him about how the army approaches leadership he immediately started talking to me about servant leadership mm -hmm. yet in the same breath he tells me about love mm -hmm. and and about his experience uh, and very specifically, his experience of uh, serving under Norman General Norman Storman Schwarzkopf during the first Gulf War. And uh, he said to me, General Schwarzkopf actually loved me. And, um, and frankly, I didn't even I didn't even hear that <laughs> until I was reading the transcript. And right. I went back and I thought, what did he say? Uh, you know, and this is a guy, he has three purple hearts for wounds received in combat. He has led men in combat. Uh, during the first Gulf War, he was the uh, commander of the 25th Infantry Mechanized Division, I think. Um, for uh, us non-military types, that means he was the CEO of a workforce of 26,000 soldiers. And he's talking to me about love mm. and servant leadership. Mm. And I'm, I'm like, I way I'm, I'm, you know, my brain is sort of spinning out of control. I'm not expecting to hear, you know, that kind of word of love. And so I, at one point I said, so how does the army, um, uh, support and reinforce servant leadership? And he gave me three stories. Um, I'll only tell you one. But he said, um, well, we teach our officers that when a, a team is going out on a helicopter, the highest ranking officer gets on that helicopter last. When that helicopter lands, and it doesn't matter if it's in a, a war zone or wherever it is, the highest ranking officer is the first to get off of that helicopter because they put themselves in the harm's way first. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, um, and uh, I don't remember if he referenced it or I just looked it up later. I think he referenced that one of the army army's core values is um, selfless service, selfless service, yeah. which they define as putting the welfare of the nation the army and your subordinates above your own. Mm -hmm. Now, can you think of a better definition of love than that? Yeah, no, absolutely not. That's good. Yeah. I had a, I had a, uh, you made me think about it doing one of the mergers during my lifetime. Um, I had a, um, 
counterpart come over from the opposite company and he had a very deep uh, military background and he made sure I understood his military background. That was one of the things he taught me, uh, his selfless uh, servant training and and what it meant to him. And I I will never forget that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things when I think about this kind of walk down um, and I just, you know, want to help people stay with us, you know, if you want those results of 66% engagement, you get the themes that the people who have done it repeatedly have one of the core ingredients of, you know, seeing humans not as assets, uh, mm-hmm. but as people who can increase holistically in value. And mm-hmm. and by the way, I don't want to brush over that, right? Because even getting to assets, by the way, has been a journey for many organizations, right? I, I just think yep. about doors, names changing from personnel to human resources, Mm-hmm. Let's even yep. understand that in some places, right? That that is still a journey that is yep. in tow. The names change, but some of the the, the other other points haven't, right? Um, how 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 significant is that that work in and of itself, right? In terms of moving from you know uh, uh, asset to seeing that holistic value. I don't want to skip over that. Yeah, uh, James, I love that question. Um, and another brief story, um, when, I, when I wrote the book, I thought, okay, I don't want to write an academic textbook. Um, and so it's really full of stories intentionally. So um, one of the people I interviewed was an elementary school principal. And um, when Aaron had taken over this school, it was a school of uh, roughly 450 students, um, 65% approximately free and reduced lunch. So we're talking about a fairly high degree of, uh, of racial, ethnic, economic diversity. And it was failing on multiple fronts. Mm. Um, there were reports of, of significant infighting. The prior principal had been basically run out by the teachers union. And um, five years later, it's the highest. It was, so when she took over, it was also the lowest performing elementary school in the district, 25,000 students. And five years later, it's the highest performing elementary school. And when that wasn't good enough, they took it up another notch to actually and actually began to close the achievement gap, yeah. um, nice. which is a massive, massive accomplishment. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, during the middle of, of our conversation, uh, she's telling me about her approach to leadership, which by the way, is a subject she said she knew nothing about, but she had designed the most eloquent system of leadership that I found Mm. outside possibly the United States army. Um, she's talking to me about her approach to her people and developing her people, and uh, at, at one point, I stopped her. I said, Aaron, it sounds to me like you're putting as much emphasis on developing people as whole human beings as you are developing the educational skills. Um, and she, <laughs> she looked at me really like I was um, you know, somebody from outer space. And she said, of course, why would I want half a teacher walking in my door? Mm-hmm. Um, and the more I've thought about that, I thought, you know, that's exactly what we do in so many of our organizations. Um, we tell our people, you come in, you work for us. We want your professional technical skills. But the good part of you, the best part of you, the part, there, your humanity that has, that carries unimaginable 
creativity and innovation and ability to problem solve and innovate, oh, please leave that at the door. And, uh, and we lose all of that opportunity and capability and capacity. Hmm. Wow. Wow. And, and then when you think about the 66% of the U.S. workforce wow. is either not engaged or they're drilling holes in the back of the boat. Yep. You know, you think about all of the rhetoric that we aspire to about, you know, the, 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 the basic human people's basic yes. humanity, their creativity, all the good parts of being human. Yeah. Yeah. Organizationally, we say, no, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what kind of waste is all of that? Yeah. So, you know, I think we talked about a few of these, um, in, in peace, but I want to make sure, um, we don't miss anything. Um, how do you, how do you, how do you, how do you eat this elephant, right? How do you start to, <laughs> how do you, how do you start to, how do you start to bite off this elephant, right? You've got the, again, yeah. the, the piece around the, the, the asset and shifting your thinking to increase in value. You've got this piece around a consistent employee engagement. What, are, what are some of the other hows you need to put in place for this system to, to start to, to fall into place? Well, you know, that was the interesting part. When I began to look at it, um, I found organizations that really came at it from, from very different angles um, and in, in very different ways. So um, one of the healthcare organizations I found uh, is actually down in Abilene, Texas. Uh, for the last 14 consecutive years, they have been recognized by Gallup with their, um, they now call it, I think, the Exceptional Place to Work Award, mm. uh, which is simply, a, it's a measure of engagement. And in my interview with the, uh, the CEO who's since retired, you know, I said, well, how did, you know, how did you do that? And, uh, you know, his, his response is, well, we emphasize it. And I thought, well, <laughs> okay, that's, that's <laughs> true. But how, how do you emphasize it? And it was really very simple, um, hard, but conceptually simple. Mm -hmm. he, he said, we measure every leader by the engagement levels of their team against Gallup's national uh, standards. Uh -huh. So uh, let's say I'm a measure member of your team and let's say there's uh, 50 of us that are part of your team. Right. Part of your personal evaluation is going to be our levels of engagement. Right. So, uh, if you know that you're going to be evaluated based on our collective levels of engagement, how much interest are you going to put into, do we like coming to work in the morning? Right. And uh, if you're going to go to a conference or a seminar and how to be a better leader, probably your ears are going to perk up when someone starts talking about taking care of your people and saying that they're engaged. Yeah. Um, and that's, that as far as I could tell, that's about all they did. Gotcha. But, um, and they also had um, benchmarks. So if, let's say I'm working for you, I'm a part of your team, you're being measured against our collective levels of engagement. Uh, the, the objective was that we would be in the top, top 25 percentile against Gallup's other database. Got it. If we fell below that, you would be automatically assigned a coach and a mentor. Mm, mm, mm. 
Yeah. So they didn't. So they didn't just say, James, you you know you've been a bad boy. We're going right. to discipline you. They actually they actually supported you to become a better leader slash manager by assigning you, actually hiring at their expense a coach. And if it fell too low, then they would they would have taken you completely out of out of that particular rank um, mm-hmm. if you hadn't already done it yourself. Yep. So that was one approach. Um, on the other hand, one of my early uh, subjects of an early, early interview was with a, a young millennial who um, uh, was and is working for one of the world's largest engineering firms, um, a little firm with like 19,000 employees and $5 billion in revenues. Um, and uh, he had this you know, very common experience where he had been a great project manager all of a sudden, they decided to make him a leader, um, and he found himself leading multiple teams with um, uh, skills that were that were not his own across multiple markets and geographically dispersed. And he realized leading was something different than managing. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, he's he's a uh, he told me he said I'm a I'm a man of faith, and so one of the first things I did, he said I did a Bible study on what Jesus said about leadership. I thought, okay, that's that's pretty unique. And then he read four or five, you know, best-selling books on on leadership. And um, I don't, you know, you you and I, we, we'd probably recognize him. And um, this is exactly what he said. I concluded from my research that leadership is essentially a relational enterprise. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, quote end quote. Yeah. And and so you know, he's an engineer. I mean, he's not. You know, one of these dynamic, charismatic guys. He's an engineer. He right. thinks about things very, very logically. Yep. And uh, and so he went about designing a system, um, really for himself to create relationship within within his teams. Yeah. And it started out things as simple as uh, he says, Dan, uh, when people would come into my office, I I I I learned that. I always needed to spend a, a few minutes with them, just getting to know them as a human being. And uh, he said, then I realized that when I went to their workplace, where their workstation, I could do the same thing. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's funny how you that know. works, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, not rocket science. It's funny. Yeah, you could actually go to them. Yes. Yeah. 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 You don't and, have to summon and, them. <laughs> exactly. And, yeah. and then the, the thing that got me laughing the most was um, he said, uh, and then I realized that it really wasn't just about their relationship with me, but it was also about their relationships as a team. Yes. And so he said, um, I pulled out all the, all the office, you know, cubicle dividers and stuff. And I took all of them out, set up an open office concept and I put a ping pong table in the middle of the office. Yeah. And uh, I said, well, how'd that go? He says, well, and he looked at me, he said, well, our engineers are sort of like your age. He said they were pretty skeptical, but um, the younger ones loved it. But he said it took about three weeks and all of a sudden we've got, you know, inner office ping pong ping pong competitions going on uh, when people are on, on breaks. And then he tells me the results and I've been able to track him a little bit over time. And um, his company was, was merged with another one and, and all of the, the usual, you know, people coming and going um, his team had the lowest turnover of any of the teams in the company. Mm-hmm. And uh, right now they're generating so much value uh, he can't hire engineers fast enough 
because of the of the demand. In fact, I, 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 I about maybe a little over a year ago, I was talking with him, and he said uh, just recently they had delivered 15 major proposals for you know major public works projects. Right. He's he said, um, frankly, I'm scared to death because we won 14 of them. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? The team will help figure it out. Right? Thank you. Um, Absolutely. They will help figure Absolutely. it out. That's what happens on on great teams like that. Well, Dan, this is uh, incredible uh, research and work you've done. Uh, I, you know, what what do you hope ultimately becomes of this work you've done? Well, thank you, James. That's a terrific question. Um, on a broad level, um, I really would love to start a, you know, kind of an international conversation about the meaning of leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that's a bit of a uh, that's a bit of a big um, uh, big challenge, but um, you got to start someplace. Sure. But on a more personal level, um, it's really not about selling books. What it really is about, and my my hope, and I'm actively looking for uh, organizations right now who will say, you know, I want to I want to look at how we do leadership, and I, I like this idea of a way of doing leadership that's systemic. And I'm looking for organizations who will accept that challenge um, and, um, and and take that on because um, I know it works. I've seen it work. I know how it works. Um, it's not easy. Um, in fact, one of the, one of the CEOs I, I interviewed uh, who, who intentionally designed a leadership system, uh, most end up doing it by accident. He actually, intentionally designed it uh i said so um how did your leadership team react when they you started rolling this out and he laughed he said half of them got up and walked out and the other half thought that i would eventually walk out (laughs) (laughs) um so it's not it's you know i'm not gonna uh tell anybody it's easy yeah but i think the rewards from what i've seen are enormous yes yes um you know, one of the things that I, I I saw, two things that I saw, one was that all of a sudden these organizations are at the top of their industry and people are coming to them for help. Right, right. How do you do what you do? Um, and of the organizations I looked at, three of them have, have had to spin off training organizations just to meet the demand for help. Wow. And the other thing that I saw was that people will be lining up at the door to do business with you. Yeah, that's good. That's really strong. You know, one of the things I would, you know, I, I don't know the answer to this, but it's a, it's a question that is really nagging at me. Uh, it's nagged at me before, but this conversation has really provoked it the more. Um, and so if you have, if you get into these deeper conversations, uh, given your research and such, I, I'd love to, you to tease it out. And I'd, I'd love to be a part of the conversation if it's if it's appropriate is I wonder sometimes, you know, I think language is important. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think we get very uh, embedded and ingrained in what we know. And um, sometimes we can um, we, we can repivot and learn do new things. Sometimes we can unlearn. Right. right. Um, but sometimes if we keep the language the same, it's difficult to do either. Yep. And leadership has a certain connotation and thing we've become we've come to know with it. Right. Um, yep. Things such as power, prestige, uh, so on and so forth. Followers, example. And I feel differently when I say steward. Mm. Steward to me means 
I am occupying a box, a position and such for a moment on behalf of someone mm. else or an entity yeah. to shepherd it and make it better for a time, mm. for wow. a season. It can even, and it could be a long season, yep. but, yep. The, but it's more intentional in its wording, right? It means I'm going to take this for this season. It could be a year or two years, three years, but during that time, I hope to get it here and leave it better but I right. know I am going to leave it <laughs> yeah. and I'm going to leave yeah. it better. And whether you follow me or not, doesn't matter. Yeah. You should be right. following the box. You should feel right. good about the box and the role, but not yeah. me is not important. Right. right. It's about right. the box and the role and, and, and what we're all trying to do together. Right. Yeah. And I yeah. think leadership can sometimes become easily for any of us too much about us. Yep. Just my thoughts. Yep. Well, uh, James, I love that concept of stewardship. Actually, hadn't thought about it, so uh, that's a new new word I'm going to have to add to my my vocabulary. But yeah, you're absolutely right. It is about stewardship, and you mentioned the idea of followership. Um, frankly, I've learned I've learned to um, really hate that idea. Um, you know, my my backyard butts up against a, a city park. And it was maybe a year or so ago, um, there was a coach, in quote, um, helping, you know, eight, nine-year-old boys uh, how to play football. And they're doing some kind of a, I think, a, 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 an exercise, um, fitness exercise. And he was having them run calisthenics, calisthenics and stuff. And he said, there's two kinds of people in the world, leaders and followers. Now, who are my leaders? Mm. And, uh, you know message if you're slower than if johnny is slower than billy billy's a better human being um and you say you know words and language matter um you know could not agree more uh again quick story then i'll be quiet uh one of the uh one of the case studies is a small engineering firm and uh this org this company has 200 employees they design to manufacture high-end custom commercial furniture. Um, you know, none of your audience is, has ever heard of them, but if I if I told you who their customers are, mm-hmm. you'd recognize every one of them. Mm-hmm. They're all they're all major national brands. And um 200 employees and uh together they initiate roughly a thousand to twelve hundred and fifty Kaizans or process improvement initiatives every year, which means every employee, and not every every employee participates, but, you know, every employee has has identified, you know, uh, uh, five to six opportunities to extract waste out of the company. Mm. And each one of those Kaizens saves them approximately $1,000. Wow. Yeah. So uh, I'm going through this tour. And this uh, woman who's standing behind one of these big cutters that takes big sheets of foam core material and cuts it into parts for their furniture, um, she's explaining to us that they were getting four parts uh, out of this, you know, larger sheet of, of, of foam core material. And she realized if the material was reconfigured in a different way, she can get five parts out of that. Mm. And as she's 
telling us this story, there's this uh, woman standing right next to her. And every once in a while, she would say, I saw this idea and I went to my mentor. And she would sort of turn to this other woman who hadn't said a word. And then she would talk about, you know, going to her mentor and 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 who and the mentor coached her through the process. And finally, I have to ask what I thought was the obvious question. I said, is, is this lady your supervisor? And she looked at me with one of those looks like, you know, like, well, dummy. Yeah. But she says, yeah, but I guess so. But we just call them mentors. But that word yes. mentor. Yes. Uh uh, symbolized the relationship, relationship that they wanted their leaders to model. Yes. They weren't, you know, production leads and manufacturing leads and all this stuff. They were mentors. Yes. And that word was the perfect embodiment of, of the relationship that they wanted to establish. Yeah. And it creates a different level of intimacy and, and everything. It changes, Absolutely. It changes everything. Absolutely. It's so good. Well, Dan, yeah. congratulations on the book. Um, Thank you. And I want to remind people of the name of the book, again, Leveraging the Genetics of Leadership. It will certainly be in the show notes. Let me try to recap. And Dan, anything I missed, please feel free to jump in again. Gallup reports that people today, most organizations, world, or U.S., are 66% disengaged. The opportunity is to flip that and be 66% engaged. And again, thematically, some of the things Dan learned is that people... Uh, are and the companies that are six six percent engaged see their human resources not as, as an asset to be managed but as a resource that can increase in value. What a huge shift! Secondly, they are working on consistent employee engagement. So the same things we do, we have chief engage uh, customer uh, uh, engagement officers. Think about who is your chief employee engagement officer, right? And you probably have that role already, but maybe not name. And can you uh, amplify that a bit? Uh, another agreement, um, ingredient is um, in, in, in that thinking about humans more holistically. So not just what's happening in the workplace. Think about them holistically in terms of your programming. Uh, four, measuring engagement versus the Gallup score. So think about the story that Dan told in terms of holding people accountable. And we've done this on a lot of different things, right? We've talked about it in regards to diversity and equity and inclusion and so on and so forth. But how you measure and then how you Relate that in terms of performance and tied to compensation and the appropriate weighting so people feel the weightiness of it. Dan gave the point of if they're not doing as well at it, the person gets some support by way of coaching. What does it also mean relative to comp if they're not doing well and if they're doing much better than the rest of their peers inside of the organization relative to the Gallup scores. What does that mean in terms of uh, comp and otherwise? And then lastly, the point around the person's uh, research and their uh, uh, insight in terms of building relationships and how that plays out, right? The person coming to their office, they can go to their office uh, or their workstation, putting the ping pong table in, giving people what they need to feel more part of the workplace, more part of the community, et cetera. And even the last story of, just redefining that relationship title uh, instead of boss or manager using the term mentor. All those things can make a big difference in how you flip those numbers and get 66% engaged. Right. Right. Yeah. right. Beautiful. Thank you, Couldn't Dan. Have done it. Couldn't have done it better myself, James. Excellent. I'm a protege. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Dan, well, I'm honored. Thank you for Truly being a part of this you. episode. Appreciate you. 
Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of The CoreLink Solution. Those were our thoughts, but as always, I would love to hear yours. Be sure to send me a comment wherever you're listening, or you can email me at jamesrousseau at com. Further, if you find a podcast to be of value, please hit subscribe, rate it, and write a small review, and share it with someone you think it might help. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next episode. Be informed, be empowered, be accountable.